0: At New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation, we're motivated to continually seek new ways to deliver more keys indoors to provide people in need with a safe place to call home. We lead the country with our expertise in delivering, managing and maintaining social housing and the numbers speak for themselves. We have the largest housing portfolio in the country with approximately 125,000 dwellings valued at around $60 billion We're responsible for the largest asset holding of the New South Wales government behind roads and transport. We house 300,000 people every night, which is three times the seating capacity of the MCG, the largest stadium in Australia. This last financial year, New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation completed 516 new dwellings in New South Wales and awarded contracts to commence delivery of a further 562 new dwellings 16% of these are located in regional New South Wales and there's a substantial pipeline of new housing over future years. Despite this, the high demand for social, crisis, transitional and affordable housing continues to outstrip supply. There are currently more than 5,000 households on the priority wait list awaiting housing support. Responding to this need requires sustained effort and varied and new approaches to delivering more housing. We needed a diversity of housing across New South Wales to better meet demand. This includes smaller dwellings with better accessibility, newer housing and more medium density homes. To explain some of the ways in which New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation is innovating to deliver the social housing needed, our special guest this episode is Peter Brackenreg, Executive Director of Delivery South. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Susie. Great to be here. Thanks very much. And I guess just to start, can you tell us a little bit about you and uh, where you've come from and about the division that you lead? Sure
1: thing. I've come from a history of uh, development and looking after projects uh, specifically tailored for residential projects. So I have a background in town planning. I uh, have spent some time working at Blacktown Council early in my career doing planning assessments and uh, looking after residential subdivisions and new estates being created for housing. That morphed into 12 years working for the state government developer Landcom, and uh, got to hone my craft, I guess, in uh, looking at new estates and subdivisions being created, particularly on the fringes of southwest Sydney and uh, after a period of time, about five years ago, I moved across to the Land and Housing Corporation, specifically to um, help with the Communities Plus program, which is about reimagining and transforming housing estates, uh, particularly and other stock that lack like, owns uh, into new dwellings. So um, over time and uh, about two years ago, I was lucky enough to uh, be asked to lead the Delivery South division, which has uh, about 70 Uh, 75 staff and and our job is to put more keys indoors. It's to deliver new homes um, on an area that ranges uh, in geographic scale from Sydney Harbour all the way down to Victoria and out to the wild west of of Griffith. So uh, yeah we've got a big job and I guess personally uh, I have a partner, I have five kids uh, between us so life outside of work uh, is pretty busy as well.
0: Indeed. so a do you have time to sleep in all of that.
1: There is no sleep.
0: <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about the various ways that you deliver housing? So how does um, Delivery South and New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation more broadly go about delivering new homes?
1: A few different methods. Uh, we do some delivery ourselves. So we call that process our business as usual, where we uh, look at uh, older stock that might be past its uh, used by date uh, or could be better reimagined as part of more housing on a particular site. And uh, yeah, we use funds to redevelop those into. Uh, brand new modern accommodation that's uh, better fit for purpose and uh, better stands the, the test of time moving forward uh, more ecologically uh, sustainable and uh, a better accessibility for the tenant cohort which uh, as we know is getting older uh, all the time and smaller households as well so for us it's about right sizing that portfolio from predominantly three and four bedroom old clangers into uh, modern uh, one and two bedroom apartments in uh, well-located areas close to services and and amenity. So that's that's one stream that we do, but we also have programs where we partner uh, working closely with uh, the development sector on those larger projects predominantly where we can uh, completely transform, say, a collection or even a, a suburb or a former housing estate into modern uh, mixed tenure projects we don't want to create continued big uh, concentrations of social housing but in those larger projects particularly where we partner we look to create those modern mixed tenure communities that have a mix of social key worker and and uh, private housing
0: fantastic thank you and i guess when we're delivering uh, the homes ourselves Do we need to follow um, planning approval processes? How does New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation compare to, for example, a a mum and dad building a new home?
1: Well, we're a bit larger than a mum and dad. We've got a lot more projects on the go. At the moment, you know, there's some 350 projects in flight through various phases. So we have uh, projects that are in the initial sort of design phases, projects that go through planning approval. Projects that are in construction and projects that are sort of at the other end in their uh, defects liability period. So the full life cycle of projects. And yes, we definitely uh, have to obtain approval. No one gets away uh, from that process. There's just different ways that we can attain approval.
0: And can you tell me about some of those different ways? I guess I'm particularly interested in in one that might be um, a little bit more opaque to some of our listeners, but I understand is really critical to our business being our self-approval powers.
1: The Environmental Planning and Assessment Act all the way back from 1979 has got two main pathways uh, for approval. There's the Part 4 process, which goes through probably the more well-known path of, uh, of dealing with a local council. And, uh, and lodging a development application with them and letting them run the assessment process and make a determination. And the second pathway is called uh, Part 5 of the Act. And really, that's um, that's where LAC has been granted or enabled powers, particularly through the housing, uh, state environmental planning policy, to self-approve projects that deliver up to 60 units and uh, within nine metres height or so. So um, for us, we can uh, look at those projects and we can uh, abide by the planning controls that are stipulated under part five and through the housing uh, CEP as well to look at those projects where we think uh, on a volume scale makes sense locationally it doesn't mean that we don't use part four through a council. We still do. We pick and choose um, mostly between part four and part five, but um, the part four process is generally for those larger projects where we would exceed the controls. So, you know, more than 60 units or higher than nine metres, or where we think that uh, it might make sense for a little bit more independence and uh, let council run the process. So again, for for those larger projects. Part five, though, is our predominant methodology, particularly for those business as usual projects that you said, we probably do around 70% uh, of our projects through the part five process. And that's for really those smaller, you know, well under 60 unit type of projects like the duplexes or a collection of uh, villas or some seniors housing Uh, projects. Uh, There are some residential flat buildings that you can fit under nine metres and uh, less than 60 stories, but look the vast majority would be sort of through those seniors housing and villa type projects that we would go down the self-assessment process.
0: Fantastic and why are we using these powers? What sort of benefits do you see of, of using them versus not using them? Oh look the main one is
1: really through our ability to control the timeline uh, for the approval process, which is usually a bit shorter than what uh, local councils get through, so for us in Part Five, it's usually, you know, a three to four month process from lodgement to when we um, get to a determination, and that compares pretty favourably to uh, fairly standard council timelines, which vary, I think, from um, six to to 18 months Uh, so for us it's a real uh, speedier alternative Um, it does have some benefits of freeing up council resources as well because uh, I guess what the state considers as being uh, imperative for us is to get on with the job of you know keeping that lack business as usual pipeline flowing and making sure we continue to pump through the you know more new social dwellings each year and if we had to put all of our projects uh, through the part four process of council then that would probably only make their time frames uh, even longer but uh, look there's plenty of controls in place for us in part five not only have we got um, the state environmental planning uh, policy sort of looking after us but we've got a variety of, um, of policy documents as well that keep us in check.
0: Yeah so I guess there'd be some people that might say that the power's you know, help us skip steps or take shortcuts or have advantage where the private sector might not, or that, you know, we're not necessarily always looking after the best interests of the portfolio because we're moving so quickly. Can we myth bust a bit around that and talk more about some of those sort of safeguards? And I guess the, the ways that risks are managed and the best outcome is assured.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, um, in fact, our part five process uh, allows us to do more consultation with the local communities in which these projects are proposed, rather than the part four council process, where they simply send out one letter for a statutory notification period, usually 14 days. Our part five process has got a number of touch points uh, with the local community. Often, you know, it's two or three. Uh, different times that we're out there talking to the communities we have like a an initial concept design uh, phase where we say look we're thinking of doing a project here we have a preliminary notification phase which is a formal letter that sort of goes out and says here's what we're looking to do here's some examples of similar types of projects that have um, turned out like this um, what do you think is important to uh, the local context for us to think about? And then we also have the formal uh, statutory notification process as well, where, you know, we send through a copy of the design and uh, people can make further refining comments on it. So, I mean, where there's actually a far more um, consultative process in part five for those local communities, which, which makes sense because we want to make sure our, our projects sort of fit seamlessly into local streets. The consultation with council uh, isn't overlooked as well. I mean, ultimately, we want to make sure that they are happy with the project development, that we're not abusing the powers in any way. The, the process for Part 5 is actually um, probably clearer for councils because they have a designated time to respond Uh, 21 days usually or otherwise it's taken that they don't have any problems with the uh, proposal so they know what they've got to do they've got to have a look they've got to make sure that they outline any compliance uh, with some of their engineering or design guides but in terms of uh, getting I guess more uh, development that makes sense on the ground I referred to the policy documents that we we work by so we have a a suite Mm. of those documents Um, the seniors living design code the good design for social housing, lax dwelling requirements as well. And all of those have been developed, I guess, with with design and and with tenant outcomes in mind. We wanna make sure we're delivering high quality product and we wanna do that by exceeding generally what uh, local councils have in their local development controls.
0: Fantastic. It certainly sounds very thorough and consultative and uh, and really striving for best practice, which is what New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation is all about. Can I ask a bit more, I guess, what communities and councils make of the, the self-approval powers and the process where you've been applying them? What sort of reactions do you get?
1: Oh, look, uh, I think it sort of goes through different cycles. Initially, people might have uh, their own opinions of of social housing tenants. You mentioned myth busting, and I think that's really what the process is all about. You know, you start often with sometimes some subjective opinions as to the type of residents that we're accommodating. And, you know, when we talk a little bit more about actual data that we have, uh, particularly. That that we gather from um, Department of Communities and Justice, who look after uh, the residents uh, that we house, we see that the tenant profile these days is uh, generally getting smaller household size. So a lot of uh, single occupants, um, you know, up to sixty percent are single households uh, these days, wow. and many of those tenants are also older, you know, because the kids have left home and the partner may have moved on or, or passed away. So we've got a lot of older people who are requiring accommodation still from many uh, decades ago. So when we start sort of um, talking about, I guess, myth-busting the, the type of people we have, we're, we're generally accommodating older single people. And nobody's got a problem living mm. next to those type of people. Um, and the type of homes that we're we're doing these days um you know, they fit seamlessly into streets. We're using more project home builders. So we're using the same type of builders and designs that uh, mums and dads and private owners are out there, you know, procuring for themselves. So we're not doing anything that sort of labels the house as a social housing home. So that not only helps the people in the street, but it also helps the person inside that they don't have, you know, those labels on themselves. And uh, the proof's in the pudding, I have to say, Susie. You know, we took... Um, mm. We're we're getting more uh, adventurous, I guess, with our relationship with the the private sector. We've nominated recently uh, some projects up to the uh, Urban Development Institute awards in August, and we we're lucky enough for one of our business as usual projects, you know, that just sit in the street, mm. to actually win the award. So Fantastic. that's that's a that's a state award, and that's its credibility, I guess, from our point of view that we're doing the right things.
0: Indeed, congratulations, and uh, very important to be recognised for that work. Can I ask um, a bit more about the process, please, that LAC follows? So you've talked a bit about the sort of the consultation stages uh, and you've talked about some of the decision making that goes through policies and so on. But can you just talk me through, I guess, from the beginning to end what a self-approval looks like and what other kind of safeguards might be in the process?
1: Normally, it's a three-stage Process uh, to ensure that our developments meet the community expectations, but also our own. I mean, we've got to be proud of the stuff uh, that we're doing. But really, the three-stage process starts with, you know, internal preparation and endorsement of a project by the delivery uh, team and uh, yeah. and the creation, I guess of a review of environmental factors and really that's where we get a planner to uh, come on board to look through those policy documents that i mentioned before and check that the context of what we're actually proposing meets all those policy guidelines Uh, we won't always run the risk you start abusing those sort of uh, policies and powers then they're quite easily taken away and uh, we've had them for quite some time, which sort of shows we've got a um, you know a long history of uh, sticking to the rules there. So we're pretty proud about that internal uh, preparation starting point. But um, second stage uh, I'd think about would be the independent assessor role. So we actually put those uh, reviews of environmental factors that are prepared for each project out to an independent assessor who has a look through and make sure that we're uh, keeping to all the legislative controls um, that we're keeping, and also, importantly, uh, that independent assessor is reviewing uh, the comments that have been gathered from the local neighbours and communities during those touch points I mentioned, and also the uh, submission that comes in from the council. And uh, The independent assessor doesn't sign off until those uh, submissions and council comments have been adequately addressed. And then final step would be that whilst delivery has managed this process and particularly our planning team and uh, the delivery uh, development managers, it's actually a different part of um, LAC that has the final sign-off of that and that's our policy and uh, innovation team. So they they review all the work that's been done and then uh, they take that final independent step to make sure all the boxes have been um, adequately ticked. So that process, I think, shows that there's accountability and transparency. uh, And that, to me, would uh, reduce any perceptions that we sort of try to step outside legislative environments.
0: Fantastic. And I think it does certainly point to how seriously... New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation takes the responsibility um, that the powers grant, but also the role to deliver more houses for people in need and houses of the right type and in the right place. That's really interesting. Can we circle back to your personal point of view, please, Peter? What's your experience been to date working at New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation?
1: Oh, eye-opening. We have a tremendously large uh, portfolio. And um, when you think about 125 Thousand homes and the fact that you know i guess we've got an increasing level of, of new product coming through but still it's um you know 516 last year and looking to improve again you know through another 20 25 percent um, performance improvement this year and we'll keep doing that as as we look to do more and better homes but you know, when you consider those sort of numbers in the context of the overall portfolio, it still leaves a lot of uh, opportunity, I guess, to get out there and look at the stock that we have and try and reimagine it. So um, whilst it's great to be doing good numbers of new supply and um, you know, having 350 projects uh, in flight in different phases, is, is no uh, mean feat. Um, nice. you know, I guess the, the level of opportunity to do more and to partner with others to get more involvement in this sector is is there. So that's exciting to me.
0: Yeah, so there's certainly an energising existing business as usual amount of work, but there's a a huge opportunity that you're obviously seeing and quite energised by. Are there sort of innovations that particularly take your interest looking forward?
1: The part that I've been really strongly focused on over the last few years has been, um, I guess, the, the partnership with the project Home Builders. Having worked uh, at Landcom for a while, even on some lack estate renewals from the other side of the table, I mean, you can really sort of pick out the social housing of the past. You know, it seems like we had a couple of standard designs and we uh, we rolled them out everywhere in the 50s and mm. 60s. And so mm. to me, that's a really obvious sort of label that I mentioned before for social housing. What it does for the people inside is create difficulties. It, it's perceptions and, you know, none of us like that. So what we've really keenly tried to introduce in the last little while is working with project home builders and the private sector to make sure our homes don't stand out that they, um, in some cases now, are the best homes in the street because we put so much effort into our good design for social housing and dwelling requirements, you know, our policies to make sure that we're at the cutting edge. And so that's why it's nice to actually, you know, win an award and get nominated in another six sort of categories. So we'll keep doing that. So I guess for me, changing the look and the feel of the homes has been important. And probably the second thing that has created excitement is that uh, real focus in the last 18 months to years of doing more in regional areas. So LAC hasn't uh, historically in the last uh, you know, little while uh, done a lot in the regions, but in the last 18 to 24 months, we've had a real outward look outside the Sydney metro area. So I think of places like Albury and Wagga Wagga and Goulburn. And uh, Newcastle in the news uh, yesterday, Coffs Harbour Mm. um, working with the council up there, doing a job in in Tweed Heads, looking in Tamworth for opportunities to do mixed tenure subdivisions. I mean, there's lots of things that are on the go now in in regional areas that also need our help and our, our focus.
0: And certainly regional areas have had sustained demand for uh, social housing and housing assistance for some time and that that's potentially, well, we know it being exacerbated by, for example, the global pandemic. And I guess I'm would I'd interested to hear your take on how that's affected uh, land and housing corporations, business and, and your delivery responsibility in terms of things like the delivery climate, I guess, uh, with the pandemic, supply shortages and so on.
1: Uh, look, like all builders and construction um, companies at the moment, um, we're not immune to those issues of rising construction costs. Um, we're struggling, I think, just like everybody else with uh, with those cost increases. You know, 30% in the last 12 months, thereabouts, is really hard for a business uh, to swallow, particularly one that's offline. So we've, we've got an asset recycling funding model where we take you know, older properties pass their use by date. And we look to sort of create that war chest that allows us to build new supply. And, um, you know, I guess that war chest gets smaller when the costs, you know, continue to rise. So we've got to look at different ways of of doing things. That's why, I guess, uh, with the project home builders, we're looking to use their designs rather than our own um, these days, you know, so we we can um, be the most efficient that we can be with our product selection and putting that. On the ground we use their sausage factory of um, delivering homes uh, efficiently and quickly so we're not out there sort of um, spending too much on the homes we're always looking for different ways to uh, get the product done i think also of the consolidated work we're doing at the moment where we're having some workshops with you know nine of our long-term builders who've helped us recently just to sort of understand how do we how do we work together better it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, you know. We we need them to keep building for us. They need us to, you know, keep delivering the supply for for their for their companies.
0: You've mentioned uh, in passing there some of the benefits of partnering, and and partnering's come up several times in our discussion so far. One of the benefits being that it allows us to deliver homes more efficiently. Can you talk to me a bit more about you know the importance of partnering to the delivery model?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you've got such a large Portfolio, and you can see that we're focused on you know a relatively small part when we're sort of delivering five hundred homes plus uh, and expanding each year. That means that uh, if we want to sort of tackle that priority waitlist that you mentioned at the start, then you've got to get more hands-on tools essentially, and uh, it also means that you've got to create more opportunities. So for us, it's it's balancing, I guess. Uh, the effort that we have at the moment in doing our own projects, but then also creating opportunities for others to get out there and deliver social housing for us. So that's been a focus of the past uh, four or five years under the Communities Plus model where we create those opportunities for partners from Tier 1s all the way through to, you know, Tier 3 builders to be seeing what they can do on some of our stock on land that we own at the moment and how they can reimagine Uh, those particular assets into new mixed tenure projects uh, incorporating you know elements of of social key worker and and private housing so whilst they can be out there doing those things and and creating homes um, we can be doing our business as usual process uh, internally and you know I also think of uh, the community housing sector as well I mean what opportunities can we create for them to be looking at some of the homes they've got under under lease with us so yeah, partnering is is the word uh, at the moment. It's certainly you know what we hold uh, as being uh, very important to getting more homes on the ground.
0: I'm really interested to talk more a bit about innovation, if I can, just given the context and the challenges that we're needing to respond to. Can you say if there was sort of any innovation you'd like funded in the future? What that would be?
1: Oh look, funding's always welcome. It makes uh, the job of asset recycling less reliant, I guess. But the area that I'm probably most passionate about at the moment and sorry to all the other things that we do but um, I guess looking at some of those regional uh, centres that are really experiencing housing stress at the moment um, is a bit of a passion for us. We've created uh, a new team uh, with a director and, uh, and some staff that are working collaboratively Uh, with uh, other colleagues in government at Crown Lands and also regional New South Wales to look at those regional centres that um, are really suffering from housing stress. And uh, we've got our first project up and announced uh, down in Cooma, which uh, had a really uh, dramatic increase in the priority wait list over over 12 months, um, you know, a couple of hundred percent and basically on the back of a lot of government investment into the Snowy hydro scheme. So, you know, as more people came to work on that, that's quite a a massive project, then um, they had to stay somewhere and they've basically occupied a lot of the accommodation in town, which means, uh, you know, the rents have gone up and availability has gone down. And, you know, where we didn't really have um, a social housing problem, we now do very quickly because Mm, people mm -hmm. have fallen out the bottom. So for us, it's about saying, well, how do we respond to, I mean, the investment in the town is great in Snowy Hydro, but it also means that we have to invest into supplying more housing in that place. And so um, Cooma has been a great project. We've uh, basically, as I said, worked with Crown Lands to acquire a site that they had already zoned residential, and we're doing a development uh, down there in kuma uh, that will create you know some 38 social and affordable dwellings and uh, will also create a supply of private new lots to the market to fund that essentially so um yeah supplying more private uh, is also the answer because that takes reliance off the existing stock um, that came in and was and was occupied so, For us, it's about, um, I guess, trying to fund uh, and cash flow more importantly because the private sales cover the cost. So the upfront sort of cash flowing of the acquisition by lack uh, would be helpful and something that I'm keen to continue pursuing and uh, trying to deliver more kumas in other regional centres. So it's been a great success, that first project, and uh, I guess we've been inundated with other Regional towns saying, "Look, we've got similar investment. Whether it's agriculture, whether it's the inland rail, um, whether it's big hospitals or road bypasses, um, the government invests in certain things in regional spaces. Then um, you know we need to work out how we also similarly uh, invest in in housing in those
0: places." I guess reflecting on what you've just said, clearly you know housing is part of a very complex and interrelated system with lots of different stakeholders um, delivering lots of different types of housing: private, social, and affordable. What do you think the average person needs to understand about that whole sector and that whole system?
1: that it's very complicated as well as mm. you know different levels of planning, there's different levels of government, there's um, supply issues and it's not really one particular person's um, lever that can just simply be pulled. I mean uh, there's also a lot of land that's in private ownership um, that doesn't easily come to market for whatever reason, whether they land bank it or whether they just have no intention of redeveloping. But I guess from our point of view, we are actively looking for those sites in regional spaces, but also in in Metro Sydney um, and our own portfolios that can be better reimagined. And our job is just to to get on with it. If we can do it ourselves, well and good, if we can create opportunities for others in the the private sector or CHP to come in and and do it, then uh, then that's
0: good as well. What do you think the future looks like? And and What do you think is really needed to solve the housing crisis facing New South Wales? A big question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I wish I had a crystal ball and, you know, a simple answer. I just think it's more people working well together with housing being a priority. Um, You know, the government's definitely talked about some ambitious targets to release more land to the market. Um, I think the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the day, if we can get more supply out into the marketplace, then that frees up uh, existing homes. So, Yeah, we're certainly going to do our bit, not just in the social housing space, but in those projects uh, I mentioned in in regional areas and also our our larger mixed tenure projects. It's about that whole housing continuum. Um, It's about sort of promoting the social and the affordable, but also making sure there's a steady supply of private housing as well because mm-hmm. those people all occupy existing homes so if there's no supply in the in the private sector then um, yeah, it just makes it all that much tighter for existing homes and for lack stock as well
0: mm.
1: so supply supply supply
0: <laughs> yes indeed you mentioned there that uh, that it's about having people working well together across government and i guess within agencies what sort of collaboration do you and your division, have within New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation and broader government?
1: Oh, look, it's a daily uh, thing, whether it's um, trying to pre-plan for where we should next move or, or where we should try and consider uh, future redevelopment opportunities. But um, collaboration sort of gets formalised in a, in a few different ways. We um, have struck up in the last 18 months two years, a number of uh, collaboration agreements uh, with local Councils. We've got uh, one that's been signed in Wollongong, another that's been signed Mm -hmm. in Albury. Uh, We have one being signed next week following a council approval in Wagga Wagga, and about another six uh, councils that are currently um, taking that same collaboration agreement uh, idea to their council laws to say, let's work closely with LAC in what we do. So that's about aligning local government housing strategies with the job that we have to do and um, what they recognise in local government is that we're an off-budget agency. So it's about sort of uh, working together on those priorities or those objectives for where we can reimagine more housing supply in their area and what sort of um, controls and things they can do to assist that to come to fruition. So I think of an example in the Albury collaboration agreement where we've got a really centrally located housing estate there close to the centre of town um, that has been announced at East Albury and um, council were already uh, looking at how um, their comprehensive local environmental plan or rezoning process uh, would imagine land nearby because it's very well located to town and also the hospital but um, just by including our older housing estate which is um, right next door and uh, reviewing and you know, reconsidering the planning controls, it creates um, it creates value and more value for us, I guess, mm. in being mm. able to recycle those assets that are basically pushing uh, 70 years of age, but um, it will allow us to sort of reimagine that place as not just a, a concentrated social housing estate, but one where we can work together to deliver housing diversity through there, and we do that through selling some parts and um, using those funds to build, you know, our product uh,
0: Fantastic. Housing is really an essential service for people to feel valued, accepted, and included. Are you proud of what you do? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the best part is seeing product realised. Everybody knows the creation of a of a new home on the ground, a new key and a door is it's hard fought, you know, and it's it's not an overnight um, activity either. There's a lot of pre planning. There's financing. There's the Construction itself, um, then there's the actual location of the the residence for us who are going to occupy it. So, I mean that that's a three year sort of love affair. So when you do get to that point of um, you know putting the key in the door, there's a great sense of uh, satisfaction and job well done. So no, it's an exciting um, sector to be. In.
0: I guess is there anything before we wrap up that you would have liked me to ask that I haven't already? Is there anything burning that you really wanted to share?
1: I really was hoping that we'd get into the regional community stuff and um, Mm. the ability to talk about partnering with councils. I think that's really important. You know, we're not going to get there on our own, but if we sort of share those um, visions of how we reimagine homes and and housing estates and um, supply to the private sector, then, you know, the job gets easier.
0: Indeed and I think you know we've just really covered so very much there across you know the business as usual work that you do through to partnerships and collaboration including in with councils and in regional areas innovation so just to finish then you're in the business of delivering more for your local community what's your best tip to make the world a better place?
1: And don't take it too seriously, but be proud of, um, you know, the noble purpose that we do.
0: Indeed, very well said. Well, thank you so much, Peter. It's just been very, very interesting and informative, and we really appreciate you taking the time to share your experience of working at New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation. Thanks, Susie. It's been great. And that ends our interview with Peter Brackenreg, Executive Director of our Delivery South Division here at the New South Wales Land and Housing Corporation. I'm Susie Hatherley, and thank you for joining me for this latest episode in our Master Key podcast series. If you have any questions about the podcast, please email lahccommunications at fax.nsw.gov.au. We acknowledge that all of us recording and listening in this virtual space today stand upon the lands of many different nations. We pay our humble respect to traditional custodians of these nations, all elders, past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander peoples who listened today.